Welcome to Coffee with Kojo, a podcast produced by the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University. My name is Rocky Daly, and I'm an associate professor in the school. In this episode, we visit with Dr. Carla Hunter, who is also a professor in the school. Graduate student McCade Iverson spoke with Dr. Hunter before spring break. I'm not sure if a lot of people know this. Um, it's something that I didn't know originally, but um, you are one of your hobbies is music. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then one of the projects that you've been working on with your undergraduate classmates. Sure. Um, really, since before I can remember, my relatives, my aunts and uncles and my parents tell me that they would always stand me up on the kitchen table at my grandmother's house in front of the whole family because mm-hmm. I just loved to sing. And in fact, when I was four, my mom, who was a stay-at-home mom, which was wonderful, I was very, very fortunate that way, um, she decided she wanted to challenge me one day. And so she took all the encyclopedias, because you know back then we actually had yeah. <laughs> books, and uh, they had the letters of the alphabet on them. So she put them all in re- reverse order and helped me to learn the ABCs backwards. And so from the time I was four years old, that was always kind of a fun thing that I got to do and got to be the center of attention, which (laughs) at that time and for many years after was a really, really important thing to me. And so uh, that was kind of a claim to fame. And when I was a teenager, I got to sing the Star Spangled Banner at games and tournaments and things like that a lot. And when I went to college, I was a member of the choir, but I uh, actually didn't get into the highest level choir for my first two years because I didn't know how to blend. I had come from this small town where if you didn't mind singing loudly, that was a a plus. That was a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I went to college and they were looking for more of a full rounded sound, that wasn't something I knew how to do. And so I got the call back to be in the choir. And I was one of the first people who was called into the the alto section, the first alto section uh, to be a part of the choir. But then the director kept asking other people to step into the circle and he'd listen and he'd ask other people to step in the circle and he'd listen. And finally he asked me to step out of the circle and he listened and he was he, he knew that that was the choir he wanted. And so I was really disappointed, but I learned over the course of the next two years through a lot of voice lessons and through practicing with the secondary choir that I needed to learn how to be a part of and not just try to be the star of the show all the time. (laughs) And so um, my sophomore year in college, they didn't need any more first altos. Nobody was graduating. So finally, my junior year, I got to be in the big choir and I got to be in in the honored level concert choir, I guess. And so my director, uh, Dr. Olaf Malmeen, just has been a really special person in my life because he was willing to hurt my feelings, you know, to let me know the growth that I needed to develop. And it's just always been a joy to to have that relationship with him. And now, you know, over 30 years later, He's in hospice care, and so I got a message a couple of weeks ago that people from the choir were arranging to do a virtual choir. And we always sang the F. Malius Chris Johnson arrangement of Beautiful Savior at the end of every single performance. And so it was 
a song that was really special and of course completely familiar to all of us. And so I turned in my virtual choir submission about a week ago. I'm excited to see how that turns out. But um, you know, no matter how it turns out, it just felt really, really um, wonderful to be able to give him that gift because I know that'll be special to him. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, especially um, under the circumstances, like being able to have Zoom and do that kind of thing, or I don't know, I guess I don't yeah. know how you guys put it together, but um, but yeah, it's a cool thing to be able to do that kind of stuff, so. It was. Yeah, um, so I know um, this is going a little bit in a different direction, but another one of your hobbies is to travel. I know you've traveled mm -hmm. um, to many different places. You're very experienced in that way. Um, what are some of the favorite place, some of your favorite places that you've been to or taking your family or anything like that? Well, we started, it all started in about 2015 or 2016 when my husband and I finally learned to agree on a budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. We had, yes, we had some dreams and, and we learned because of those dreams to start being more cooperative about saving and about doing things in a way that would be conducive to being able to to support the love that we both have for travel since our kids were tiny we've always called them our little road warriors now they're <laughs> almost 19 and 15 and 13 but they're still really great road warriors and they they drive well they fly well they don't get bored easily um, the last trip we took we had like a five-hour layover in denver and they had a blast the whole time Just, you know, it was like being in the mall. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, some of our favorite things are uh, New York City was a really fun one where we stayed with some friends on Staten Island. So we got to take the Staten Island ferry into Manhattan several times. And, you know, that's like a harbor cruise, it's mm -hmm. a free harbor cruise. And you get to see the Statue of Liberty every single time going there and going back and the lights are gorgeous. And it was fun because my husband hadn't been there before either. And okay. I've been there a couple of times, but uh, it was just really wonderful to be able to bring the kids and let them experience. The food is a big part of it for us, I think, yeah. too, that, you know, <laughs> we got to have tiramisu in Little Italy and we got to have egg rolls in Chinatown and we ate Gray's papaya hot dogs near Central Park. and just making that a big part of it. And they are really great hikers too, which of course you have to be when you visit someplace like Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we love to go places like Yellowstone. We went there last year and hiked at the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. And it's just really gorgeous along the Yellowstone River, probably one of our favorite hikes we've ever experienced. And uh, we've taken them, we actually drove a couple of years ago at Christmas time from here to Orlando and back and made a real road trip out of it, stopping at the um, antique road show store okay. <laughs> in um, Nashville and eating at a that had pictures of famous country singers all over the wall. I think it was called Acme Company. And we stopped at uh, Tybee Island near Savannah to play on the beach, even though it was December, you know, we're South yeah. Dakota, so <laughs> right. there weren't a lot of people to compete with for the beach days. <laughs> we had fun. Uh, and then when we go to Orlando, of course, we have to go to Universal Studios. That's mm -hmm. just our big 
family fun thing. And um, my husband's in the military, so we always get a really, really good deal on tickets. And so uh, go into the Harry Potter, Wizarding World of Harry Potter and playing with the interactive wand. And mm-hmm. um, that's eating the butterbeer ice cream. That's always a fun yeah. yeah. So those are some of our favorites. Yeah, so it sounds like whenever you go somewhere, you really, um, you know, you're not, I, you're not just vacationing. You're really getting like a feel for, you know, like you mentioned, you're you're walking around, you're eating their food. You're really getting a feel for what it's like to actually be there full on. Yeah, if that makes sense. Definitely, so. definitely, we are experiencers. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And even some of the more challenging things we may have gone through and think we just the way we look at life is that it's part of the experience yeah absolutely um so what are some of the places that you'd like to um like to visit next well I have a credit card that builds up miles when I buy groceries so (laughs) uh, my husband when he was in the marine corps he was stationed in Hawaii but I've never been so he's always wanted to show me around so that's what we're trying to build up our miles toward is a trip to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary which isn't this year but next year oh good yeah that'll give you a little bit of time then to build yeah. those up that'd be fun do you have yeah. anything specific you'd want to do there well I just love the beach mm-hmm. I'm very much um I guess connected I think to the ocean even though I've always lived in landlocked states except for a short time in Georgia um and uh so I would definitely want to spend plenty of time on the beach. But as much as we like to hike, I think we would want to go to the mountains as well. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would, going to the beach alone, I'm sure it gives you plenty of opportunities to give you a bunch of stuff. Along with, you know, just relaxing. There's nothing wrong with just chilling on the beach either, so. Yeah, well, and for my 50th birthday, we've had to postpone uh, the trip because I turned 50 last October. Oh, and sure we were supposed to go to this volcano in Mexico where all the monarch butterflies migrate toward right around my birthday. My birthday is at the end of October and right around that time they've gone on their migration through Oklahoma and through Texas and um, gotten to this volcano And of course, there are fewer and fewer of them every year. And so I want to make sure to get to see them while the trees and the grass still look like they're carpeted with monarch butterflies. And uh, even though that's early in the season when they're there, it's right around Day of the Dead. So our mm. our hope, our dream was to go and see the butterflies and maybe help plant some trees in the preserve and things like that. But then to go to the village at the base of the volcano and be a part of the Day of the Dead celebration. So that would be fun. That on hold. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be very fun. I didn't know that the the monarch butterfly. I didn't know that that was a thing. I I don't know if that's I, like commonly known or not, but yeah, I don't think it is here. When I moved to Oklahoma, when I went there for grad school, everybody knew. I guess okay. because they see them coming through. Sure. Whereas here, we might not. Uh, right. Because there are a couple of different migration patterns, so we might not see them as much. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's something that I kind of want to look into a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds. Yeah, that sounds cool. So yeah, um, I know you've mentioned your family a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit more about them. I know that they keep you super busy and you have a lot of the same interests as each other, so. That's true. I told you a little bit about my husband, uh, having been in the military. He actually served in the first Gulf War 
and had been stationed in Okinawa and in Hawaii and he in the war was in um, Saudi Arabia. And um, he said, you know, that first one was so fast by the time he got there, it was over essentially. Um, so he is counts himself very fortunate that he didn't have a lot of negative experiences or PTSD from that. And uh, I met him when he came back, when he had gotten uh, his honorable discharge in 1994. And he was a student at University of Oklahoma where I was a graduate assistant. And he was in the public speaking class of a friend of ours, a mutual, well, she wasn't his friend at the time. Yeah. She was his instructor and her, she was oh, my friend okay. and uh, she introduced us and we're still good friends with her. And I try to see her whenever I'm on the West Coast. And um, we wouldn't have been able to date, obviously, if he had been in my section. Right. Rules. So it's a good thing that he wasn't. And uh, yeah, we have been married for 23, 23 and a half years now. Um, we didn't have kids for about five years. My family kind of gave up on us. They figured we weren't gonna, but we were both in grad school. So it's like, when is that gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, you're a little um, busy. Yeah. So um, our daughter, Sarah, is gonna be 19 in a couple of weeks. She's a sophomore at SDSU. And our son, Jackson, was born when we lived in Georgia and he is 15. And our son, Jameson, was born in Mitchell, South Dakota. So they've all been born in different States and he's uh, 13 years old. Um, Jackson plays baseball and Jameson plays hockey. In fact, unfortunately, he broke his collarbone. Oh, or should no. I say, one of the opposing players broke his oh. collarbone on <laughs> oh, Friday no. at the. Yeah, it was a bummer. It was during the game, though. So he has a nice war story, at least, yeah. to tell about why he's wearing that sling on his arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in the. Um... Jackson is in volleyball and you said that you have another son in hockey yeah Jackson baseball oh okay yep yep and Jameson's in hockey and Jameson's like in hockey okay so those those both keep you busy at like two completely different kind of times of the year then yeah exactly Jack was always in all kinds of sports and so over the years he's just kind of dropped one at a time so there was a oh, time sure. when Jackson was in football and basketball and baseball and so we were always rotating between seasons for him but Jameson's always been more of a one sport guy mm -hmm. and believe it or not hockey does have things to keep them busy most of the year um, oh, okay they start yeah they have camps in the summer and they'll have some different comp not really competitions but sort of like practices and and smaller um impromptu sort of games for the next month or two and then uh, they'll start again in September with the practices and October, November with the games. So it's, it's a big commitment. We'll see if he's still excited about it after yeah. <laughs> a broken clavicle, but yeah. 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 I need to you know, do some soul searching, but we'll support him either way. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, I have a friend who works as an athletic trainer and um, I know it's, it's tough when athletes get injured because it's just, mm. you know, it, that's what they love to do and it's hard to do it when you have a broken bone so yeah exactly yeah and I know um you mentioned to me earlier that you and your daughter um you like to dye your hair so we do I know yeah, <laughs> yeah so tell us a little bit about that I know your daughter kind of likes to um you know go with some crazy colors so yeah 
Her hair is actually pretty curly, but I didn't know it when she was little because the okay. curls were all underneath and it mm -hmm. was really straight on top. And so I never understood why she was so sensitive when I would try to comb her hair. She did not like me to touch her hair. And I didn't even really find out until she was in about seventh grade and somebody who was cutting her hair commented on how curly it was. And mm -hmm. I was in shock because it looked straight to me. And uh, so it's really, really challenging for her to, to get a comb through it. So I never really got to do all the fun, like French braiding and things like yeah. that. Not, not that I probably could have anyway, um, but I would have practiced and uh, she did not want me to do that. So when she hit about eighth or ninth grade, and she started wanting to do these fun things like blue hair, rainbow hair, mermaid hair, sunset hair, you know, where you have multiple colors and mm -hmm. different uh, patterns. I said, let's go. Let's go to the beauty supply store and buy these colors and and play. And she loved it. So it was really cool because when she was about 13, 14, for the first time, I really got to get in there and play with my daughter's yeah. <laughs> hair and so that's been a really fun bonding experience right now we're both red mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know what she wants to do with hers next I'll probably I only once have done a primary color and that was like during COVID when I knew nobody would see it I just yeah. <laughs> put a blue like behind my ear but uh, I'm I'm not saying I never would but I think she's probably more of the appropriate age to do mm. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always think it's so fun when people do that. Um, th yeah, they just do whatever they want. And yeah. yeah. So how do you, um, if it's multiple different colors, how do you do it? Do you just like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we always approached it just as sort of a painting project. Okay. Where we would just um, start at the roots and paint whatever color she wanted there up to a certain line and then start with the next color and just kind of plot out however many inches she wanted for each color until we got to the ends. And uh, of course that way you can't just scrunch it all up and, and mm -hmm. put it in a shower cap. You really have to just kind of keep still and let it soak in. But yeah. it seemed to work for us and it was a lot cheaper than going to the salon and we were always pretty happy with the outcome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That sounds fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I know you guys have um, a lot of the same interests, right? With like Harry Potter. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that you always go to Harry, the Harry Potter um, section or world or whatever yeah. it is called at um, Universal Studios. Um, what other kind of interests do you have of the that are common amongst your family? Most of us have watched as much as we could get a hold of of the Marvel um, mm cinematic universe and so of course we've watched all the movies I can't even remember if they're 19 20 21 something like that and we're the type that right before a new one comes out we plan ahead enough so that we can watch all the prior ones <laughs> and we do the same with Star Wars and um, we did the same with Harry Potter where every time one was coming out we had to watch all the prior ones and um, whenever we're going to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, we always try to watch all of them again. Um, we also really love the Lord of the Rings series. And, um, my husband has read all of those. I had a harder time with Tolkien. I thought um, that Harry Potter, I guess maybe I'm just more um, entertained by 
young adult fiction. <laughs> I just, I always like things like the Hunger Games mm -hmm. or um, what was the one where, uh, oh, you know, the dystopic, all of those things where it's some post-apocalyptic society and the teenagers save the world. I like those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's so true though. I mean, when, with all that kind of stuff, like even the Hunger Games and things like I, whenever mm -hmm. I, watch really anything that's part of a series I always feel like whenever I watch something new or un, you know the newest part of that I have to go back and watch everything so mm -hmm. that I can really put it all together so exactly yeah otherwise it's just I it all is a bunch of jumble in my head so yeah well and I think the thing I love the most about a series is you don't have to say goodbye to the characters for a mm -hmm. long time yeah and I really get to have that I guess in our profession we would call it parasocial relationship yeah. <laughs> you know uh-huh yep yeah um so one of the last things that I wanted to ask you was um what kind of projects do you have going on right now whether it is um you know at part of your professor duties or personally or you know what what are you doing these days well the biggest one that's been kind of on hold since COVID so I'm really excited to dig back into it um, I was really fortunate to receive a grant from the Waterhouse Family Institute, which is uh, through um, Villanova University. And that was um, actually almost a year and a half ago now that I received that grant. Okay. And it's to create an archive of oral histories with people who have graduated from college who are part of a Native American tribe. Mm. And so um, one of the biggest missions is to really dig in a little bit more deeply into what can be done to help with some of the persistence challenges that that population historically has suffered. And uh, there are greatly statistically significant differences in the graduation rates but once someone who is native american graduates from college then it roughly equalizes the income and also the acceptance into graduate programs and then so many times people will go back into their communities and give back and mm -hmm. so it really is potentially a way to bring some some hope to a lot of different societal challenges that are experienced, especially on the reservations. And so the project is called Harnessing Hope. And um, you might remember from our graduate theory class, Hope Theory is a favorite of mine. And it's the idea by Charles Schneider, who said that in order to have true hope, all we really need is to have the right kind of goals, those smart kind of goals, specific, measurable, time-bound, uh, realistic, those sorts of things. And then to just have a clear path toward the goals and the sense of agency that we have the power to walk that path. And so you really, um, I think the nice thing about that theory is it just really takes the idea of even the definition of the word hope and just turns it on its head because so often we'll think of the word hope in terms of i hope it doesn't rain or i hope my team wins and there's nothing we can do to make those things happen or not and so to to look at a more hopeful view of life and say 
if I have goals that are attainable and they're specific enough and, and I set them in a way that, that makes them time bound so it's not just a dream, then all I have to do is start walking that path and get help clearing the obstacles along the way. And it's just inevitable that I'll get there unless along the way somewhere I decide to go a different direction. Or if I, if I encounter an obstacle that I can't overcome, then I think for me, that's a determination that there's a better direction and to look for that better direction. But um, the thing that Schneider found is hope can be measured and hope can be taught. People can actually be taught to think in a more hopeful way. And based on his definition, there's no such thing as a false hope because it's not really hope if it's not something that is based on a realistic goal and that you have a clear path or the capacity to create a clear path and then that sense of empowerment to walk the path. And uh, so the whole idea is then to harness hope, to use hope theory to work with teachers at tribal colleges and universities to help create interventions for their own students and to bring a stronger sense of empowerment and agency um, through people co-creating these experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it involves a lot more conversations and dialogues. And that's been really fun to learn how to, how to take some of the research tools that I was taught and look at them through a whole different lens and be able to, to look at them through a more decolonized approach and through a more culturally aware approach and partner with people instead of um, thinking I'm gonna somehow go in and help people. <laughs> it's like, no, let's, let's have a dialogue and let's talk mm -hmm. about what you need and about what your strengths are and what you've already tried and what you would like. And let me bring these theoretical tools and this money I happened to get through this grant and let's see what we can help you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do actually remember um, the hope theory from your class, however, yeah. many a few semesters ago. And yeah, I, I just remember really liking that theory because it's something that can really apply, literally applies to everybody in one right. way or another. So I think that's the coolest part about it. So that sounds like a really awesome project that you're working on. I'm, I'm excited to be keeping up with that and find out how Ooh. it goes. So yeah. We're digging back in starting over spring break. We should be able to get some of those things moving again. And I'm really, yeah. really enthusiastic about it. Yeah. That's exciting. Especially after so long of having to mm -hmm. put it on hold. So that'll be, that'll be fun. So yeah. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you wanted to, um, let our listeners know about anything? I don't think so. I cool. just really uh, love my job. I love what I do. Uh, it is kind of fun to get a chance to listen to the other podcasts and get to know the people that I see on a regular basis in a different way and learn mm -hmm. some of the things that, like you said, I never would have known about them. Becky's baking and things like yeah. that. <laughs> so that's really fun. Our next episode will be available on March 26th. This podcast is the property of the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University, which reserves all rights to its use. Music by Cody M. Johnson and Tyler Addison James is licensed through AMP Music. Music.